Welcome back. We are here for another episode of Nobody's Muses. Hi, Crystal. Hi, Rachel. How you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm ready to get through this episode so I can get to episode three. So episode three was so good. Yeah. So we're here to talk about Daisy Jones and the Six. We're diving in deep to the show, the book, the audio book, the behind the scenes stuff, the music, the culture, the times. That's why you're only hearing about episode two from us at this point, even though we know Friday they released the last two episodes um, so if you're still needing your Daisy Jones and the Six um, fix, we've got that for you because we're going to dissect into um, episode two today. I know last week when we started off, we said we're going to talk about one and two. And then we got to talking and we took up the entire time talking about episode one. An hour and a half on episode one. So I don't think <laughs> so don't forget you don't forget you can find us in all of your favorite podcast streaming services, as well as YouTube. Um, and on Instagram, you can find us at Nobody's Muses. On, on the gram. Yep. So, and if you have any comments or things that you want to point out, um, please um, email us at nobodysmuses at gmail.com. Excellent. Let's go. Okay. So track two, I'll take you there. Uh, written by Jenny Klein. Once again, directed by James Ponsult. So He's doing a good job so far. Yeah. And I'll take you there is the, um, the Staples singer Staples song. song. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, an interesting, I don't know, here's, I'm wondering why they chose this song. Um, one reason I think is, um, it's a song that sounds happy, but it's actually really, really sad song, if you listen to the lyrics. Yeah. And um, so I'm wondering, you know, that um, that juxtaposition is always interesting in songs. So I'm wondering if that's something to do about it, or if it's mainly more literal as we get through the, um, as we get through this, what where what does the I'll take you there mean? Maybe it's about Teddy. Yes. Maybe it was chosen because of Teddy. Yes. So Who we get we, into. All right. We, so we start out and Teddy is on the Merv Griffin show, which they got the set right, man. It was pristine. Yes. It was yes. Pristine. But here's the thing I I you know, I love the character who is playing Teddy. Mm-hmm. Um he's he's perfect to me. He really yes. represents, does a good representation. However, in the book. Teddy was this fat British dude. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a big difference there. But again, as we've mentioned, they've taken some opportunities to diversify the cast, which I have to say, I've, I've really enjoyed that aspect of it. But when you read the book, it's, you know, he is very much a um, overweight, you know, yes. British dude. I kind of see that um, the guy who was the manager for like all the boy bands, um, yes, Lou per- Lou Perlman was his name. They ended up like suing the guy. Yes. Um, that's who I kind of envisioned a British version of that when they started out. But um, we got Teddy, and we got the Teddy that we're seeing on the show, and I, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. So you think he is a, a Lou Perlman figure in the book, and I was thinking he is um, Peter Grant, who was the um, manager of the of Led Zeppelin, who was a big, giant, fat man, Um, like, no, like, really leaned into that, and was um, kind of instrumental in making, I would say he is instrumental in making kind of corporate rock, because of what he did with Led Zeppelin, and he um, didn't, and he was also a bit of a kind of a thug, (laughs) 
you know, like his people got paid and, you know, he was, he's just an interesting person. If you, um, uh, any, read any articles about him, he was, uh, very, uh, very much a, a character and, um, just known for, you know, kind of being like, I'll tear it up. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that kind of mix. Um, but I do think that, gosh, I mean, the actor who plays Teddy is got so much gravitas to him and just like immediately likable immediately you can see why um these people um look up to him and as he says in this he goes I never pictured myself being a father figure yeah and I think that that is definitely the main theme of this episode is about um it's about family I think a lot of it family and of choice yeah yeah, yeah. family family family, family you choose so so as we go through um this is so they show up in at rod's apartment so we've met rod we've met rod the road manager rod mm-hmm. reyes right reyes i believe so yeah we met rod in pittsburgh he told us all the things that we need to do mm-hmm. and so they're doing them yep Yep. We're a little naive about the way that I thought they were a little naive in the way in which they went about it. But, you know, they're supposed to be 19, 20, yes. 18-year-old kids. So it's understandable that they took his list to be literal and jumped on on jumped on into it. It's super cringy, honestly, <laughs> when they're like, oh, yeah, and we're going to need an apartment and we're going to need this. Some and money. And and I'm like, yeah, like, it's like, like that's not that's not how this thing works. Yeah. They quickly I, found out from him. I mean, I do think that he was more generous than he had to be. I mean, well, I think he's, he's, actually, he's actually quite generous to them. Um, once again, the wig is terrible, but, you know, I dig the very short robe. And anytime we get to see Tim Oliphant's legs, that's fine with me. I didn't, but, I didn't catch it, but you know, what have been, would have been perfection is that shorty robe. And then those booty kind of things that the men wore in the, you know, booties, we know the little short boots that they, beetle yes, boots yes. that they would wear in the sixties and the seventies. I think the shorty robe with the beetle yeah. boots would have yeah. been just a vibe that um, would have worked well for this, this time or, period. Or like, I always think of kind of like the David Crosby-esque moccasin, you know, that that's always the, or uh, Stephen Stills often wore a moccasin. <laughs> so he says, I, you know, he goes, well, I can't do all that, but I can, um, I can get, get you gigs. You, I get you a gig at Filthy McNasty's and it is on the strip. And, and you know, there's a Filthy mean. McNasty's in Fort Worth. There is? There's a Filthy McNasty's in Fort Worth in the stockyards. It has been there forever. And it is pretty much the same thing. Um, that rod described for the filthies that's on the the strip in hollywood so the one in fort worth is pretty much the same thing maybe more honky tonk um but yeah it's a dive bar where they happen to have a stage okay yeah and that's what filthies was there in hollywood too that's hilarious i wondered why i felt like that name sounded familiar and i thought well maybe it was like is was it a real club yeah i don't know if it was a real club in hollywood I'm gonna I'm gonna assume it was because maybe it's like they've a used they've used everything you know they haven't had to make up any fake names or fake yeah. clubs or fake bands or anything like that so I'm yeah. pretty sure it's an authentic Hollywood strip club at some point in time but it definitely is still a 
a running bar in Fort Worth <laughs> that you can go to on any random night of the week. So that's, funny. that's a quick, um, a quick Google search would find that out, but I don't feel like doing it. Um, <laughs> so um, they get the gig and then Graham, who has been on a mission since last week, he gets Karen's number and asks her to join. Um, the, well, he doesn't really ask her. Billy ends up asking her because he just can't, you know, muster up the courage to do it. Graham can't form the words. And so uh, Billy very um, cockily says, do you want to be in the best band in the world? And then Karen says, get Camilla on the line. And she says, are they worth it? And Camilla says, yes. I wouldn't be here. I think she said, I wouldn't be here if they weren't. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which so, again, now we've seen a, form, a formation of another female friendship um, that will be strong throughout the course yes. of this. Of this. Um, but yeah, she said, I wouldn't be here if, I, if it wasn't, if I was, what, if I didn't think they were worth it. Well, and if you look, I mean, Karen makes a comment like, yeah, these guys that I was with, they're not, they're not going anywhere. And they really were um, like, they just showed them as being losers. And like, I think it was pretty implied that they were, a lot of them were drugged out, like on heroin or something. It was more than just being like dirty dudes, you know? Yeah. So. Or crappy um, players. Yeah. <laughs> so then we cut to um, a weird scene where it's almost like kind of like suspenseful as Karen is walking, getting into her apartment. I mean, Simone is walking into her apartment mm -hmm. and she finds Daisy there. And um, I just don't understand why they decided to go with that tone for it. Like, cause it really extended it out and made you think something bad was in her apartment. And then it's like, oh, oh, oh there's Daisy. Who um, just randomly showed up. Yeah. And, and broke I'm, in. Yeah, and basically, oh, I found your key in the pot. and. I mean, I don't, I just, th that was one of those ones, like, I just really would have, if I had been um, the Amazon person who was giving notes, been like, we don't need all that. Like, she could just be surprised at buying Daisy in her apartment. We don't need this kind of weird, suspenseful music. I don't know. It was weird to me. But, but I think some of it may have been, I, I thought, is that with Daisy's naive nature at that point in time, she didn't really understand the concept of boundaries. Yeah. And so she just didn't really see any problem with finding somebody's key in their flower pot and just making themselves at home because she was looking for a home. She didn't want to yes. live at home anymore with her parents, which this, this involvement here is extremely different from the book yes. because the book, I think we saw more Karen be or Simone being that big sister yes. to Daisy and, um, in the show, it was more of a, a mutual friendship. Yeah. Um, They're equals, more equal in the peers. Show. Yeah. And so I think that that's where we, which I, I like the friendship and how it ends up playing out in the show, but very different from what we saw because in the, in the book, and I think you mentioned this last week, you know, Simone was very much, you got to go to school, you got to graduate. I'm the only person that showed up to her graduation. Yeah. So we saw that big sister kind of attitude, whereas this played out to be more of a a peer-to-peer -peer friendship but yeah it was I don't know why they did it like that but it moved the story along I guess they thought well and I think it's an interesting note I feel like in this season in this episode the chunks like the daisy chunks and the the Dunn brothers chunks are getting smaller so like in the first episode we had a long chunk with daisy seeing what she was like as a little girl and we have a kind of a long chunk with the Dunn brothers and now we're it's moving faster mm-hmm 
So, yeah. you know, I think it's because it's built, it, it's building to where we, they're together. So, um, so Daisy wants to be her roommate and she goes, I can't live there anymore. And, um, and she, you know, she goes, I can get a job. And Simone's like not cooking because the food is terrible. And, um, you know. But she brought wine. Yes, she did. So she was a good guest in that point. Yes. And so she up with wine. and then we cut to 1997 Camila talking about their first place. So we're establishing, we're kind of mirroring. We've got, this is Kate. Um, this is Daisy's first adult place. And this is, I mean, cause for what I can tell, definitely they, the boys were still living with their mom. Camila was still living with her family. This is their first place as adults in mm -hmm. Laurel Canyon. And the yeah. house in Laurel Canyon that they chose is so perfect. Um, it just looks like everything I've read about um, Laurel Canyon and what the houses were like, cause they were kind of um, rickety shacks and just kind of thrown together. Um, not like now where Ellen owns a huge mansion in Laurel Canyon, but back then yeah. it was, um, um, and of course it would be a place that now people who are million, you know, millionaires live because it's right there by the strip. You're right in the city. So, mm -hmm. but you're up in the mountains. So the thing that I noticed about um, Camila talking about that first place is you could see it in her eyes and in her tone and I could hear it in her tone. She got very nostalgic. Mm -hmm. about remembering and talking to our narrator um, about what that was like to start that life together with Billy and with the band and them starting out in Laurel Canyon. You could just see it visually in her eyes and she just, you could tell she was reminiscing um, and just kind of thinking back to a time where, you know, we can all think that as we look back on our lives, those times where as young adults, life was a whole lot simpler. Um, it was not quite as, um, I don't know, you were still coming into your own and starting that adult life, but it's still, it was a heck of a lot easier, um, than what happens when you get into your thirties and your forties, as far as life goes in my, yeah. Opinion. I mean, kind of the hardest thing in your life is that you're broke Yeah. versus, you know, the true adult stuff that starts <laughs> happening <laughs> sometimes way too soon for some of us, but yes, yes. it's that like, you know, you're just, you're just, you know, you're more worried about how am I going to, you know, make rent, not anything else. And who, where am I going to go out this weekend kind yeah. of stuff? Yeah. You're not worried about, you know, 401ks and <laughs> health insurance premiums and, and yeah. itemizing your taxes. And exactly. <laughs> Hope I could do just to have, yes. Um. <laughs> but we also see coming, uh, then we start the shot with um, Camila and Billy in bed. And Camilla is filming Billy and then that bedroom. Yeah. I know it sounds crazy, but that bed, like every, there's just so much detail. I mean, so much attention to detail from the clothes, the hair, the jewelry, the set design, the aesthetic. They, they got somebody who was paying attention because if you look at that bed, I'm sorry, I know it sounds crazy, but the lit, the, the linens and the pillows and the, the bedspreads, everything that they picked was just so, it was so good. And it was so spot on. And sometimes you see these shows where they will harken back to a different period of time and they don't get it. They miss the point. They don't, they aren't true to that time period, but to me, that bed, I don't know why I just was like, that bed is very much 
of the time period, everything about it and the room itself. Yeah. Everything about it was there. Yeah. So that was just, and then you, you know, again, Camilla is taking the video or taking the film. She's using the super, super eight. Was that a super eight camera? It was probably either. Yeah. Or just eight millimeter. Okay. It might've just probably been eight millimeter. Probably camera. would have been just an eight millimeter. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. But she's taken footage of him and he's sitting there playing. He grabs the camera from her and flips the switch. And I could tell you as a, as somebody who does photography um, and has been shooting for a while, um, photographers, we typically don't like to have the camera flipped out on us. Mm-hmm. We like to be behind it and capturing moments. We don't like to have our moments captured very much. I would also say that, you know, it was not like when you use an iPhone, like you kind of had to be kind of um, thoughtful about what you were filming because you mm-hmm. had to buy film and then you had to go get it processed. <laughs> so there, there is something to be said for that. And when you try to explain that to kids nowadays, they're like, they're just total, like you had to buy film. You had to take the film. Yeah. Sometimes it was really exciting when we started having like 24 hour turnaround on our film, but there were some points oh. where Phil, if you were shooting eight millimeter film, that wasn't a 20, that was never a 24 hour turnaround that had to be shipped off to a special lab and be processed. And then you got it back and you could have screwed up the settings and mm-hmm. everything on there could have been blurry and you that lost is, everything. Yeah. Like, well, and there are very, there is a very good um, chance that my parents still have film that has not ever been developed because my parents, we are not a photography family and have the best, had the best intentions many times. And like, there's stuff that I got that was stuff from like, and I was little that I finally was like, I'm taking this and like, got it, you know, developed in high school and college. Cause I couldn't take it anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I actually have some stuff that me and Joe have shot like on some toy cameras that we have that we still need to get. So developing film is, you know, and especially like, you know, camera film cameras, like, you know, for movies is home movies was a big deal. It was a real thing. It was a real thing. So something that I have heard other people mention about, we haven't really talked about it, was we have the opening sequence of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the uh, Patti Smith song last week, but taking a look at actually what photos are there, a lot of that is stuff that probably, or I think they intended for it to appear as though it was shot from Camilla's viewpoint. Yes, yes. So we see her throughout this capturing all of these memories um, of not only her and Billy, but of the six as a whole. So she's not only reflecting on these memories from her own memory um, as she sits down and talks to our narrator, but we see visually throughout the series, Camila's memories being captured through film or through video or through photos, still photography, still photography, or through, through film. Yeah. Well, and I keep meaning to do like a really like nerdy analysis for each lyric in each photo, but I just haven't, um, I haven't had time to do that. We'll do that. That'll be at a later date. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. All right. So Karen shows up and the guys are (laughs) dancing around. All I could think of was that she walked into like Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. Yes. Yes. Literally in their tidy whities playing pirates. Yes. And um, like, and I can just smell it. You know, there's a like, one of my favorite Westerns is The Cowboys. It's one of um, John Wayne's last movies. And um, um, 
the a guy well a guy comes in to well um he's like a um a wagon hand you know and he comes in to help and it's all these boys and he walks into the their bunk room and he's like this room smells of boy and that's what i, I was like oh i bet it smelled just like the boys wing at the dorm just had a funk that you could not believe how stinky it was i that my house <laughs> <laughs> Yes, thank you, boy. Growing up with, uh, growing up, uh, raising two boys, um, there is a scent that is unique to them. But I will also say, having taught middle school girls, um, they don't have any, they, I think they get past their stinky point a lot quicker um, than boys do. But there is an aroma. I'm down the hall from the 19 year old room who just moved out this year to go to college. His room still smells, even though we've cleaned it. It still smells uniquely <laughs> like him. Boy. Boy. So um, yeah. so they move Karen into the um, a room that they think is haunted because they think the old lady died in there. And that room to me is also kind of perfect of, because, you know, a lot of times in shows, they're like, if somebody's living in the 60s, everything's 60s. And then, you know, and it's like- They keep oh, up with modern- No, it's not. Art, it, yeah. I mean, we have time we have time and money to change our furniture and our wallpaper every trend no like it's like you know to me that's like one of the great things about stranger things is like the house actually looks kind of 70s still because yeah who's got money to update exactly so <laughs> especially then people weren't updating their houses we weren't living in this home and garden hgtv um home depot kind of like you know you got to refresh it every year no yeah just that's not how it was yeah so I love that room and then Mm. we cut to um then we start them talking about uh, performing at filthy McNasty's and Mm -hmm. they um it's where we fell in love as a band yeah and um you can, I, w- I thought they did a good job of kind of just a nice little, you know, of showing slowly, steadily them getting better and them getting more, you know, more people coming to see them and that kind of, you know, growing um, an audience, growing a following. I loved that. I know it was a short, it was a short snippet, but I just loved it um, because you did see it start evolving. You know, Rod said, I, I can't put you into the clubs, but I can put you into this bar but even with it being just a bar, um, they grew a following and it, mm-hmm. and it grew very organically and it wasn't an overnight thing they talked about. It took them a while, but they did. They finally grew and you saw people who were obviously enjoying the music, obviously were fans. Um, I just, I, I liked this, the short sequence. It was really good. Well, and I mean, especially, I mean, the stories of the good bands is that you do it. You know, the Beatles became the Beatles because they went to play it in Hamburg and they played constantly. That's how you, that's how you do it. You're not going to do it as a, oh, I'll just do it once a night, you know, it once a week. It's a, um, you know, you have to be doing it all. It's the 10,000 hours thing, you know, mm-hmm. Malcolm Gout and Gladwell. So they're playing and um, as that's going on, Camila is, there's a nice little shot of her, you know, calling labels, getting turned down, um, you know, mailing promo sh- shots, which I mean, all of that stuff's expensive too, to think they, you know, figured out how to pay for that. Um, so they're, she's doing her best to contribute to the band. Well, she's, she's part of the six. Yeah. So she's doing what she can do. She's not a musician, but she's doing what she can do by just 
contacting everybody that she could. And again, that goes back to her conversation with Karen. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think they were worth it. She thought they were worth it. Yeah. She thought they were worth it. So she was doing whatever she could to help support Billy and the band and get them where they dreamed of being. So she was playing, she was playing. I mean, I could see that you don't want to just be the girlfriend that hangs around and does nothing. Um, Camilla wanted to be a part of something. Um, She wanted to be a part of this family, but she wanted to be a part of, you know, moving them along in their journey. And so she wasn't just going to sit by and show up and, and go to shows. She was going to, she was going to help steer the boat. Yeah. So, um, but not really any success. And she did the whole um, trick, which they always like, they always do in like uh, sitcoms. Like she, they, they're like, oh, well, no, he's busy that night. Oh, well, he's open the next night. (laughs) Well, how convenient he'll, they'll be playing the next night. Yeah. That was funny. But the executive does not show up. And I think as once of many times that people have, you know, blown them off. Um, but, um, Camila is still very positive and she's like, you know, she's singing along with the band. She's a good girl, band girlfriend. Um, reminds me a lot of, again, of Liv Tyler in That Thing You Do, of, you know, the supportive, being supportive of, of her of her men. Mm-hmm. And then um, we go this to- is, This is where we start seeing Billy starting to drink more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's start on stage seeing... drinking. And it's not just a beer. No, we start, it's, drink, it's, we start seeing him drink more and more of the hard stuff. The hard stuff. The hard stuff. So, um, you know, I think this tells us this starts us off on um, a part of a journey that we're going to have to go through with him. That's not going to be easy, but I think they they do some good foreshadowing there to get us prepared for it. Well, and you know, I think about this, that time, you know, and I think about the bands that we used to go see our little local bands and like, you know, the nights whenever they would have a full house and then another night there'd be the four of us there, you know, there'd be us. We did some of those shows. We would outnumber the, we would almost outnumber the, um, the band would outnumber us definitely more than once. I vividly remember a show in Denton that we went to at Ote's where, and this band was packing the house in Dallas. Yes. But for some reason on that that random Thursday night. No, it was like a Saturday night. That's probably why, because people didn't party in Denton. Yeah. On the weekends they were gone, but they were packing the house all over the place. And that night they did not pull in a crowd and it was literally the band and four people out in no, the audience and we yeah, had the, the, the best the we best had a great time, time that night we had we a had great the time, best time that it night was pretty probably pretty demoralizing that you drove 45 minutes on a saturday night to have you know to pull to in be, a part of the door and that's all you put. yeah you basically probably didn't even pay for gas so yeah so i mean there's definitely a lot of nights like that for bands you know maybe they got we, free beer or something yeah you know top of the world and then not so much very so, humbling and that's kind of where they are, you know, so the, um, and this is the point know, where we meet, where we meet Teddy or they, yes. I guess. Well, no, we, yeah, we, meet, we Teddy, meet Teddy and he's at his, he's, you know, he's at the office of a rec- label, le- record label office. And he's basically had a, a, a un- some several unsuccessful albums in a row. And his boss is like, I, I want you to, um, you know, take an easy shot. We've got, um, Dean Martin wants to record something. 
and Dean Martin. You know, and it, you know, it just seems like such a weird clash to think of Dean Martin and being, you know, on the same label and still relevant at the time of the Rolling Stones. And I guess you could, could kind of compare it to like, in a way, like The Cure or Madonna still kind of overlapping with the music we're listening to now, which that's actually older, mm -hmm. you know, in a way. Like Dean Martin is still make, you know, he's still kind of, you know, a thing in the 50s. And this is only, you know, 15 years later, you know, 10 years later in some ways. So it's just funny when you think of just how different there's the two cultures are at this time, the cultures of um, pop, um, teen, you know, younger people and older people. Whereas I feel like now it's different, but it's not, it's just so strange. Yeah, well, and probably now that, you know, there are a ton more record labels than there were at that point in time, unless you were like some small independent label. Um, I don't know. To, no, like, there was probably, there was more record. There were more oh, record labels. So? Yes, there was tons of, because all of these, all of those record labels that um, a lot of record, they, they consolidated. So, you know, because like Arista used to be its own thing and Island was its own thing and Geffen and all of those ended up, you know, these all got, you know, there's basically like three big companies yeah. now. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But I would say we don't need, now you don't need a label. You right. know, you can Maybe be, that's... you can be Lil Nas X and you can just put something together and put it on TikTok. You know, so the, um, the meat, you know, of course, whether you make any money or not is another question, but the the means to distribution to get your stuff out there is there's access to all of us. That's why we're making a podcast, you know? So, but, <laughs> but yeah, he's, they tell him to take some easy shots. And then we cut back to the, so this is, you know, what's, you know, Teddy is in a moment, a crisis point here. So we get to, um, we're back with the band and they're in a diner and, um, you know, Warren says, well, maybe Chuck, Chuck was right. Maybe we shouldn't have done, done this. And, you know, Billy is just openly pouring hard liquor from a flask into a coffee cup. And they're just, they're kind of bemoaning everything. And, and Karen is like, well, why are we the Dunn brothers? Like, like there's, there's more of us than Dunn brothers. And, um, they, you know, they're debating, throwing out some bad names, and um, Mason. <laughs> that cracked me up. That was funny, and and they say someone says um, we're never well, going to get the six of us to, to yes agree to on. Agree. I believe it was Billy. I think Billy says, "Oh, we're never because he just wants to keep it the same because Billy does not. Do, Billy does not like anybody else's input. No, nope. you know? and." And then they were like, well, why don't we call it the six? Because he said, yeah, there's no way there's the six of us are going to agree. And then um, Karen says, well, why not the six? And well, there was a conversation about, you know, there's only five people in the band. Well, we can't be the five because we have, you know, Jackson, Jackson five. five and other relevant bands that use, you know, yes. five. So they included Camila and decided, well, why don't we call ourselves the six? Yes. Which, Which I think it was a great, I think it was. It was an okay way to get to it based on what we know was missing yes. from the book. They had to figure out some way to back into it. And yeah. I guess it was an okay way to back into it. Yeah, it was, it was a stretch. It was a stretch. It was a deep stretch. <laughs> it really stretched that. But, um, and I, you know, I think that like the book really 
it's very funny in the book and we'll talk about that more later how they get the name of the six but then we have a moment where we see walking by with paths are crossing with an or with an order we see daisy so and billy turns yeah and looks at her yeah yeah so and i think this is definitely another one of those notes from amazon like we need to add this in because we can't go all of this time without them having some sort of interaction yeah paths crossed yes he he was he she caught his eye yes. walking past him and what do we see camilla pulling yes. on his arm bringing yeah. his attention back to the table yes so so now we, was... we you know as she walks by it's almost like it's a you know it's a cut scene in some ways and we're now we're going to go to back to the daisy side of the story and um simone is singing um um, she is singing a song for you. Oh. And um, if you have not listened to the Donny Hathaway version of this. Um, so good. I mean, Donny Hathaway is just one of the greatest vocalists of all time. And we lost him way too, way too young. And um, just, you definitely check it out. It's so good. And the lyrics are also, I think... You know, I like to just think about they're choosing these lyrics. Why are they choosing them? You know, and this one is, I think, such a good one because it's about, um, it's about like, if I die, will you know that you love me? You know, it's it's more of like making sure that this song is to make sure that you know how I feel about you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really great song for um, when we think about the relationship of of Simone and Daisy and that because one of the lines is you're a friend of mine and when my life is over remember when we were together we were alone and I was singing the song to you so I think it's just a very great choice kind of to show their friendship their connection yeah. but do you think so here's one of the things that I'm noticing and I know that you are slowly um ingesting the episodes but it was always implied in the book that Simone was attempting to be like disco dance hits that kind of thing i don't see them bringing that forward in in the show in the show well doesn't the lower third though on in her interview say um disco um singer or something when they introduce I her i can't remember i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure that the like when they say you know they have like a little the little yeah. um in lower third it said that so um i can remember i just never I, you know hearing, i have not i have not, I have I'm not, not hearing watched. it yet i'm well, trying in this see, episode we're not hearing it yet we're not I'm hearing trying, the i'm trying to have my vision not you know shaded by future I won't spoil anything for you okay so um and the oh, but there was a funny line in the diner where they talked about pocket toast that made me laugh oh, yes i forgot <laughs> that part was so good because so, it was like we don't have enough money we're not gonna have money for food and so um you better put that toast in your pocket yes and <laughs> eddie puts the toast in this and you know and this whole time I mean, you can pocket just, toast yeah yeah so um great line and Ed then has some great lines in the show so far and in the book he was kind of a dick who eddie yeah i i mean he didn't have the most likable character in the book no eddie me. eddie's angry and so he's got some, I mean, 
he's got some great lines and I think he's I I think I can see how they're making him angry in the show I can see it easier than I could in the book I guess yeah well I I feel like the she wrote the character he was there was a lot of conflicting ego between him and Billy Mm -hmm. um I'm not seeing so much the conflicting egos in the show and so maybe that's why I don't know I don't know we'll see how it evolves for you well um I do think Warren has a lot of great lines too too Warren Warren in 1997 Warren has some sweet things you know (laughs) going on like just you know there's some really funny lines from him which they're also also in the book his his interview stuff is hilarious so, okay, so I got it. I got us distracted. So we're at the we? Troubadour for Hoot Night. Yeah. Simone has sung she her sang. beautiful rendition of and, that song. I mean, and she got some applause, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, whoa, the place is full. And then uh, Daisy comes on stage and she walks on and inter- or she walks on, or she introduces Daisy and then mm-hmm. Daisy comes on stage. Yes. And sings a very beautiful song. She sings two against three. Mm-hmm. And um, just so you know, that was written by Blake Mills, who um, he was a former member of the band Simon Dawes, and then he quit, and then the band became da- just Dawes. And Dawes is one of my favorite kind of bands that that currently still doing stuff. And um, I like Dawes because I basically was looking for a band. I'm like, I want a band that sounds like. Um, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young that cares about harmonies and stuff. And somehow I found this band. And so isn't that funny? And they they are very Laurel Canyon. That's what their influences are. So if you like this kind of music, I would suggest listening to Dawes, even though Lake Mills is no longer with them, but there's definitely that vibe. So I mean, Daisy comes on and sings and I think it's, yeah, I think it's a really good song, but um, she meets Teddy. Mm-hmm. And Teddy um, wants to work with her, but Daisy's skeptical. Why do you think she's skeptical? Um, well, I think her experience with men in the music industry so far and what we've seen has not been completely positive. She has had her music stolen from her, as we saw um, with Stumble, Stumble and Sublime. Yeah. Um, then we had, you know, somebody trying to take one of her ideas for her movie uh, writer friend. Yeah. So I think she, she understandably is skeptical, skeptical because what she's experienced so far has been extremely negative. It's always about people trying to take from her. Um, so right. I don't think she wants to give that up. Yeah. Yeah. My thought. Yeah, no, and I would say, just as Teddy tells her, you need to be shaped, I think that this song is good, two against three, but I do think it's kind of meandering and a little boring. Like, Well, her style on, you know, her style on stage is, and I, yeah, I think we talked about it in the very first episode, I, I, or maybe I made a note about it, we never talked about it, but her voice is super inconsistent to me in those first in that first episode yeah we see her starting out very young singing this really kind of bluesy kind of music and then she starts evolving but she's still like to me she was still all over the place and she still has not yet found her sound 
Right. And so I think that's one of the reasons I was like, well, she, you know, she finally got the courage to get up on stage because she never saw herself on stage. So kudos, she's gotten up on stage. Now we just need to figure out what her sound is going to be. And then she played, he's trying to talk to her and she's like, well, maybe I don't want to be shaped. Yes. Well, to me, that is very, you know, at, at that age, we all think that we know best and we stand by our we stand by our thoughts and we're not going to let anybody sway us. But the reality is she's extremely naive, new, you know, and she's, you know, not, not been able to prove herself yet. Um, So to disregard the opinions of somebody who's been in this business, who's been turning out music um, to me was, you know, it was naive. Yeah. But she, you know, she eventually figured it out. But and then back um, on Teddy, back on Merv, we get um, Teddy saying, um, "Sometimes the back of somebody is the best way to see who they are." So what does this mean? Well, I think it means the fact that if sometimes if somebody is willing to, if someone is like, "I'm not ready for you," yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was, I was trying to figure out what he meant by that. I mean, it sounds really deep, but is it? (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, I think maybe in the sense of whenever, maybe when you're famous and everybody's like, Ooh, I want to work with Teddy Price. I'll do anything to work with Teddy Price by her turning on him and being like, I don't know if I want this is mean her. She's actually being genuine. Yeah. You know, and for him to actually have somebody say no to him, you know, that's, you know, maybe that's what he means. Yeah. That was a lot for that time. So now the guys, um, we come back to the guys. So if this is speeding up. And yep. the, the, these sequences are speeding up. We get to, um, they're, uh, grand, they're at like, a, like it looks like a maybe a liquor store or a, um, you convenience know, store. convenience store. And I would say in California, I mean, probably back then you could actually buy liquor any place, whereas we live in Texas where we have to have separate liquor stores because, you know. You screwed up alcohol. Because insane. of the Bible. <laughs> because you can be on one side, of the, one side of the street and you can buy liquor but the other side of the street yeah. you can only get beer and wine i mean i mean i would say what when i first went to um a costco in los angeles and you, you can just buy giant um tequilas like you could buy you know i was like okay, oh so my. The costco, there's a costco over here in fort worth near us that has a liquor store now but it is literally a separate entrance yeah. that you have to go into come out of the store and go into to be able to buy your gigantic kirkland vodka yeah no so the so. yeah and like i mean you could just go to the, the equivalent of like a walgreens they have a longs i think those they've been bought by cbs but they had a longs and you could just go there and just get liquor and any time of day sundays included so but at least we're not like oklahoma where we have weird three two beer well they finally got rid of that well oh, i they? mean what can we say in oklahoma you can get pot in oklahoma you can't in texas so whatever <laughs> whatever okay. i'm sorry tangent tangent the convenience store one night and, and they they've got it they're in the van and um and graham sees um teddy price going in there and he sees him going there and then um billy's coming out with a bag of just a, a sad bag um, so- he has three packages of toilet paper and again i want to say set design (laughs) aesthetic they never miss a beat because that toilet paper 
with colored toilet yes. paper. Yes. And if you are a Gen Xer or a boomer, you know how popular yes. blue. Yes. You wanted to have the colored toilet paper. If you had colored toilet paper in your house, you were fancy. It in needed my to. Opinion, if you had colored toilet paper in the house, you had a UTI all the time. <laughs> you needed to. It needed to match the crocheted toilet cover or furry <laughs> toilet cover on your um on your on your lid yes and on on and on the the, the tank lid all that had to match yes or the kleenex a- the kleenex box that your grandmother like made with the little plastic yes. like weaving things mm-hmm. yeah it all everything had to match. needed to be upholstered in the bathroom but i could see and i don't remember which brand it was from the 70s but i can see it in my head it was the brand that had like little uh, that had like babies like photo illustration picturesque yes. looking different yes. babies on every color yeah but I know it's stupid for me to notice that but <laughs> it was pink it was blue and yes. it was white yes. and all I could think was that crap itched because yes we decided <laughs> some somewhere we finally decided that, that stuff made your major itch yes okay <laughs> there was a lot there were a lot of, of scented things in the 70s that they wanted to put near parts of female bodies yes yes it need to be there right exactly so um so, so graham's like so you know he comes out with his sad bag of toilet paper and you know it was and like beer and you know it's just like uh maybe you know probably a couple of slim jams and then he goes um and and graham's like they're built Teddy Price is in there and and Billy's like what and he like basically like throws the grocery bag this little scene was really funny to me throws the grocery bag in there and and then you know and then like walks real real fast doesn't quite run like does like a fast nerdy walk and then kind of slows down to as he walks into it so he can slowly yeah so he can you know casually slide up to to Billy and so I mean to Teddy and Teddy um he has some great lines and in this exchange teddy has some great lines with his first exchange with billy i thought (laughs) so because billy's like hey aren't you teddy price i really like your work but i will say billy knew teddy's work yeah not just not just he knew who teddy price was but he knew who teddy price's work was and he threw that out there which you know anytime you're you're talking to somebody if you can give them specifics you're going to hook them in really quick yes yes but Billy, you're making me uncomfortable. Well, because he kept standing there and kind of following him, and he's like, "Dude, you're you're dude, you're making me uncomfortable." And he, basically, Billy's like, "You got to, you know, we're in a band. Just, you know, give us a chance." And Billy, you know, he's at a low point here. He's like, he's first of all, he's gonna have to do a Dean Martin record, and then some nobody girl, who he does think has potential, has turned him down. Poor Teddy, he's and, not in a good spot right now. And so, and then, you know, Billy's like, oh, you know, come on, give us a chance. And he's like, all right. And so he gives him his card. And I would just also say, like, things things were just so hard in the world of analog 60s and 70s, (laughs) you know, and getting somebody's business card was meant so much. And God forbid you'd lose it, which would probably happen to me and you can't take a picture of it with your phone no if in the event that you do lose it yeah you had to keep up with those and Billy does does this thing and it's like uh, you only get one chance are you ready 
and Billy's like, yeah, I'm ready. So then we cut to, we're at Billy is in the bedroom with Camilla. It's late at night and he's stressed about what they're going to do. Yeah. And he's so he starts playing a freaking song. Freaking out. Yeah. So he starts playing a ballad called Silver Nail, which is very not what we've heard from this band before. And Eddie does, Eddie's like, I don't want to. I don't want to play that. That's not who we are. I don't want to play a ballad for this guy. We got to show him what kind of rock and roll we are. But of course, Billy gets his way and he starts playing it. And we don't really hear much of it. We hear a few lines from Silver. We, we don't hear a whole lot. Yeah, but you can go out. Yes. So Apple Music, Amazon, Spotify have put together these playlists um, for every episode that you can go out and listen to, you can actually listen to the full version of the song. So they have Dunn Brothers songs. They have, you know, pre-Daisy Jones and the Six music out in these playlists by episodes. One of the things that I noticed in that, in the scene where he is trying to figure out what they're going to play is like Camilla was trying to support him and say, well, why don't you play this? No, it's not good. And I mean, he just kept like well and i forgot Just one thing that i'm snapping at her every freaking suggestion mm-hmm. she made and i'm just like just i would just be like okay whatever dude i'm gonna shut up now because i'm trying to get my head snapped off well and then him like i'm gonna go get more to drink and she stopped him yeah and she's like no Ooh, no no wait a minute. you know and how many times has she had to do that you know I mean, you know, probably the, more and more as that time, as they right. were approaching that time, she was having yeah, to do that more and more. And the thing with living with an addict is that, is that exhaustion right there. Yeah, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, so we don't really hear much about it. And I, the lyrics to this one, um, maybe I'm just not, um, it, if you I don't listen know. to the whole song, it's real. It, it is not to me the kind of song that you want to play to get your break. Right. It's like not the attention grabber song that I would think an artist would want to play to get their break. Then, I mean, this one, the song, I mean, look, I mean like this one, I it's just, it's fine. I don't, I don't like his voice in this one. It's too, I feel like it's too high a register for him. Mm-hmm. It's just not my favorite song. Yeah, and no. so it makes me a little hard. It makes it a little hard to believe whenever Teddy's like, "Oh, it blew my socks off." And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> "Really? I mean, cool, maybe, awesome. Maybe yay. that's why your last few albums haven't done so well, dude. Because yeah. that I mean, that like, song's the one that you said this is gonna be it. I mean, I don't know. Like it. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's some people who love it, but this song to me, and especially, I just don't like the register he's singing in for that. It's too high for him. Yeah, it wasn't for me. Um, it wasn't for me. So they go and so, so they, he's back on Merv. He said they knocked my socks off, and then you see all of them are just like celebrating and freaking out in the van um, because they know that they're going to get this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And they say people think we played him that one song. And that's what won us over. And he goes back and he says, no, we, we played, a, we had to work for it. Yeah. So again, we didn't like the song. That's what the scene starts with him saying, you know, introducing yeah. them and starting to play that song. They never actually played it. Um, but it's obvious that they had to do more than just play that one song, which is good because again, that song wasn't it right. for me. Would not have sold me to give them a, yeah. a, a recording session would not have sold it for me yeah 
And so then they show a kind of a quick montage of them and like eventually like they're playing the troubadour, they're playing the whiskey, like so, and then outside the whiskey, they've just played a gig and Teddy tells them that they're gonna cut an album. And it's funny because he's like, you know, Billy, he and Billy are talking, we see this this relationship established uh between mm-hmm. Billy and Teddy. And he's like, you know, he's like, Man, we we were late, my vocals weren't here. And Teddy's like, No, man, you know what? You're ready. Um we're ready, we're gonna record an album. And it's very, Billy's very critical of everyone, not of everybody. He was, you I mean, know. He had, a, he had something to say about everybody. Yeah. Including himself. Yes. So he I was super, super harsh, but, you know, Teddy was trying to talk to, kind of let him know that no, they, they were ready. They had done the work. It was time to, it was time to record. Right. And I would say very typical of somebody who really desperately, desperately wants someone to approve of them is to, to really down yourself. So that person will go, no, it gives that person the opportunity to give you this thing that you need to tell you that you are good. And I I feel like that's what Billy was really doing there. Like he, I mean, I don't know how much of it he really meant, but he really wanted He's just desperately wants Billy's, he wants Teddy's approval so much. And I think we start seeing that relationship build right there. Yeah. Like that's the start. Teddy had said he didn't want to be anybody's father, but he's acquiring a family, whether whether he likes it. He's acquiring children, whether he likes it or not. So then we're back to Teddy is back at the diner where Daisy's working. And she's like, what are you stalking me? And, um, And he's like, no he goes I just think that you've got talent um but your songs they don't take they don't take me anywhere they're you know they're meandering around they're not songs they're just lyrics yes and I mean probably really I mean Daisy yes doesn't her parents have never been supportive but she's also never put herself out there and then had anybody tell her really anything about her work well, yeah, because remember the scene where mom, back in the yeah. first episode, mom, she finds mom in her room, picking through her diary, right. reading her lyrics, and she says, were they good? And mom says, oh, you're pretty, Margaret. Right. So she never had anybody tell her. But I think especially in this time period, um, the singer-songwriter time period that they were in, you had to tell a story. There had to be a build. There had to be a resolution not always necessarily happily ever after but there had to be there had to be a true story that's what people wanted to hear as they were listening to music they wanted to hear a story well and i would say listening to her song that she performed at the troubadour earlier in this episode it goes back to i think it is kind of meandering where is it mm-hmm. going um make it a little too long like you know and i have listened to it again you know tried to listen to it and i'm like Oof. you know and I mean, just on the little bit of, I don't, I'm not really paying attention. I'm trying not to read any critical stuff or anything, even like my nerdy Facebook groups. I'm not reading people's posts about the show because I want to save that till the end after I've done all of it. But I have seen a few people like, oh, the songwriting in these first couple episodes. So I think actually it's deliberate. But so he says, you know, your songs aren't songs, but here's a song. And then he plays, um, he plays on the jukebox and it's Son of a Preacher Man and he walks out. That was a song. Yes. Now that is a song. That is a song. That is a song. Written by Hurley and Wilkins, who went on to do 
all kinds of things with all kinds of people during that time period. Um, but that's a song. And one well, of the reasons I think that it's still, it, it's a true song is that it is still a song that even though we weren't really of age at the time, we could still listen to that song and it, it invokes something. Well, I mean, it is always a standard on any of the song contest shows. Like, <laughs> like for a female who's not a soprano, I yes, think they, that's like a if you're like if you're option. not um like on the diva track, like the Jennifer Hudson, um that track is a singer. Um, they you know especially early American Idol, they were always going to have you sing "Sing a Rich Son of a Preacher Man." <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Um, For those of us that don't sing soprano. Yeah. Well, and uh, yeah. And we, then, need some, we need something in our range. And I do like this scene. I don't know if we needed the gratuitous nudity, even though I don't care. Bodies be bodies. But um, Daisy's having sex. And the guy's like, oh, and she seems distracted. And the guy's like, do you want to change positions? She's like, yeah. And she just, you know, gets off of him and just starts di- writing in her book, her diary. So, to, so and again, this is going to be off on a tangent. So as a part of book talk world okay and even before book talk as a part of the book and the the romance erotica genre there is a trilogy of books from a um a british author by the name of leslie jones she's written this trilogy and it is about a band um and this hark this reminded me of some of the scenes that she wrote in her book about the main character being in the middle of latest acts and starting to hear a rhythm and oh, starting gosh. to tap out a rhythm oh, um, and being inspired and immediately writing after he um, came to a conclusion. So it kind of, but it, it did. I mean, she started hearing something in her head and she had to write it down. I can't, I can't falter for that girl. Got to do what a girl got to do. Right. So and she's a songwriter. In 1997, Daisy says it was the first time that I wanted to live up to somebody's expectations of me. You could tell by the look in her face when she started writing down that she, it was clicking. She was getting a story. Yeah. And so, and yeah, the, she wanted somebody to be proud of her. Some, she wanted to meet somebody's expectations. Teddy was the first, you know, Teddy and Simone were probably the first people that she ever had in her life that she wanted to make them proud. She didn't want to disappoint them in any way. Right. I mean, I think Simone, it was more of this. Um, collegial like we're we're on the same level in the show not so much Mm -hmm. in the book but in the show whereas teddy definitely the theme is here he's you know the father figure yeah so um so then we go to um the recording the recording and it does it looks a lot like sound city where um everybody's recorded yeah and it's no longer exists but dave has all the equipment from it and it's if you have not seen that documentary on sound city i strongly recommend it um you'll be blown away at how much music came out of that studio yeah it's phenomenal and i would say if you can go on any studio tour you should like i i I, going to the stacks one and the sun studios was so moving to me and if you could go to, um, especially the Stax one, just because that's, but I, I really want to go to the Motown Museum and I want to go to um, the one in um, uh, Muscle Shoals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, I don't know. There's something about it. There's something special about it. The Studio one, I know I took that tour. I was, um, I've been twice. I took it uh, in college. I went with my parents on a vacation 
and then Rich and I went back to Memphis and um, we went to it again. Yeah. And it, and was, I, it was a very special to just be in that room and know what happened in that room. Yeah. I mean, pretty the, cool. the Stax Museum is really cool for that. And also, um, I mean, and I'll just throw that out there. If you're going to Memphis, then also go to the Civil Rights Museum. But that's another yes. tangent for us. But yes, um, I love I love that the look of it. I thought it was very good. And, you know, that's where um, they recorded rumors, you know, so mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, you know, and it just that, oh, we've got to create a vibe here. So so the uh, the scarves on the lamps, let me just tell you. I did that one time with my sisters and we caught something on fire. It doesn't always work out. The aesthetic doesn't always work out as you hoped and planned. Because I can vividly remember as a kid, my sisters and I placing something like a scarf over a lamp and it caught freaking fire. So, you know, it looks really good, but just be care be careful out there. If you try to, if you try to replicate that vibe, young kids, it doesn't always work out like you wanted to. Maybe just, you know, now just use your LED lamp. And there like, you go. Uh, so, so then it's, um, you know, they're recording and they're singing, they're doing um, the song, Look Me in the Eye is the song in the background. And Billy says, everything has gone so slowly and now it was going so fast. And they recorded the album in six days and then they were, it was, they're getting ready to hit the road. And then Camila tells Billy she is pregnant. And yeah. so, big moment big moment huge and um it's a big moment I mean if it's planned it's a big yes. moment if it's unplanned with somebody who doesn't have a dick it's just a big moment and I don't know you could just the, the Billy's demeanor you could just read a lot from yes. him at that point well, and I think um, I don't know. I feel like in the book, Camila was more just like, I'm pregnant. Because you know what I'm saying? Where I feel like in this, yeah. she was much more upset and like, oh, what are we going to do? Whereas in the book, I felt like she, I don't really like this read on Camila at this moment. Because like Camila knows how babies are made. Right. Like Camila, I mean, the pill is around. Yes. You know, um, and she's consistently having sex with Billy. So I don't know, because I feel like in the book, it was more kind of like, I'm ready to have a kid. That's what I'm going to do. Maybe yeah. not, it was more implied. I just felt like this, she seemed more desperate. And I didn't really like that, um, that take on her. Well, I think that that desperation then fed into Billy's panic. Yes. So, um, so they, you know, 19, we got married, 1997, Camila says, we got married that night. And they show them um, rushing to get a picture. Um, Very 70s look with the flower crown yes. and the macrame backdrop. Yes. Um, very, I mean, very good aesthetic. I would say I love the description of the wedding in the book. So we can talk about that later. But it's, I think they do a really good job. It diff it's very different, but it's still mm -hmm. good. Um, one of my favorite things is Camila shows up, shows a picture of them. It's cut off. You can't see their faces. And she's like, this is the only picture we have of our wedding because, um, Warren was in charge of taking the photos. And as Warren, as 1997, Warren says on his boat, um, mescaline is a powerful drug. 
um, I would not know. I plead the fifth. <laughs> so, um, so Eddie goes up to Camila and says, oh, I'm happy for you. But it's so clear that he is not happy for no, you. He's not. And um, beautiful Todd Rundgren song is playing in the background. I, I love Todd Rundgren. So, um, Me too. And it couldn't be more 70s, okay? Yeah. It's like, can I mean, you get more 70s than Todd Rundgren? I mean, and like Todd Rundgren, yeah, just so interesting. Um, so, you know, and then we see Billy on the phone with his mom. And he tells her that they got married, but he doesn't tell her about the baby. Why is that? I don't know. One thing well, at a time? We don't want to overwhelm her. Yeah, and, 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 I don't know. and Graham's like, you didn't tell her that you're going to be a dad. And he's like, oh. And that, so that moment, mm -hmm. that moment where, you know, Graham is excited and he says, man, you didn't tell her you were going to be a dad. Like, um, Sam Claflin just, he yeah. nailed that moment. Yeah. That moment was absolute perfection to me because everything changed it's yeah. like that realization just I mean he'd had a flickering moment when Camille told him yeah. and I think he knew he needed to respond differently for her because she was upset but in this moment when his brother made it a reality when his brother mm -hmm. made it a reality that he was going to be a dad everything changed yeah and it was really it was a split second, but it was a hard split second to watch to me. So then we cut to um, the interviewer asking Billy, what do you remember about the tour? And the look of pain and shame on his face. Yeah. And the look of shame and pain and hesitancy on every single band member's face um, is, was really good. Well, and Camila, yeah. And we don't know yet, but there's other reasons why i mean who who wants to relive their darkest moments right i mean nobody wants to relive that but in this case i think that they didn't want to relive it with the interviewer for right. specific reasons um yes. that we won't spoil but i mean who wants to who wants to relive a time where they were at their worst or where you sat by and watched somebody get to their worst point and not and they didn't do anything about it so there's some guilt on their part, probably. Yes, I would that, say that they didn't do something about it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and but I would say, um, yes, I think that the hesitancy, yes, and shame is on all of them. I mean, of course, Billy might have more as a person who was acting, but they all they all enabled it. Yeah. And Camilla says, I remember everything. Yes. And again, who wouldn't? As we're about yes. to see. And we see um, a kind of a montage of her calling and him answering and he's more and more out of it. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to call last night. And she's like, you did call. And he's like, oh, he didn't remember. And she goes, well, we miss you. And, and he's like, we, who's we? And she says, um, me and the baby. Well, then after that, it's him not even answering her calls yeah. and not calling her. The road was a great opportunity for him to uh, hide from and forget about what was really coming. The road allowed him to do that. And then you add on to it, whatever else he was taking or drinking, that just made it even worse. Yes. 
So then we have, then we have Camilla finally getting a hold of Karen Mm -hmm. and she asks, well, she asks if Billy's around and no, I don't know where he is. And then it's, is everything okay, Karen? I have feelings about this. She should have told her. I don't, I don't. There's girl code. There's woman code. And she should, she didn't have to tell her. She didn't have to tell her point blank, but she could have said, I think it would be a good idea if you came out. Right. Or I don't think he's, I don't think he's doing well. I think, yes. I don't think she needs to be like, he's whoring up, you know, he's, you know, being a big old slut and cheating on you, but he needs you. Yes. There could have been a, he needs you. Do you think you could get out here? Something like that. But I think care, because again, Camilla did her a solid when she asked, yes, is am I would I be doing the right thing? And Camilla was straightforward with her and told her I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe in him. Yes. But when that's when that was turned, Karen protected her own Karen protected her own interest. And that she broke she broke. I don't know. It would take me a long time to forgive. Like it reminds Mm -hmm. me, honestly, this is such a tangent, but in 30 something a show that a lot of gen people X, had, we need but, a sound effect here dun, dun, dun. gen x moments gen x which, moments which, which why is 20 somethings we were obsessed with you know boomers but because we were told to be um nancy whose husband repeatedly cheated on her and they got you know they they're getting a divorce and they go on a camping trip and basically she finds out from all of her friends that they all knew what he was doing and no one said anything to her and And that oof that pissed me off that pissed me off then and just now here sitting at 50 something and um having friends that have gone through this um infidelity and not being somebody that knew about it and finding out after they found out you know the spouse found out um that's that's well, hurtful and that's also it's a weird thing where i feel like karen i don't really thought of i would say if i'm this and i'm reading this in a way i don't think karen really thought of camila as an equal i think well, karen, no, she was just the girlfriend of the band member yes and, and that's karen's the, first interest was to have a band that yes. was playing performing out there doing their thing and so she protected her own interests Yes. By not outing Billy for what was really going on the road. Right. right. So. And no, it's, it's yeah. not cool. So, nope. um, but I would say, so Camila shows up and I would say Camila's maternity clothes are so spot on and cute. Again. So cute. Like that turtleneck and uh, like just in that, you know, so cute. And she shows up and she shows knocking on the hotel room door, motel room door, nobody's there. And the guys walk up and they're like, oh shit. And they kind of are like, and then she looks over in the van and she goes over, opens the door and there's Billy getting serviced by a groupie. And she turns around to Eddie Warren and says, you were covering for him. Yes. Because to her, they were just as much her family as they were his family yes and to be betrayed by your own family that they didn't even have the respect to tell her something was going on that to me personally would be not equal to the betrayal but pretty fucking close well especially i would say graham 
I would yes. feel even more hurt by Graham. And I would say they didn't have, they wouldn't have had to tell her about the infidelity, but to tell her, to not tell her how bad he was with the drugs and that he very well could die. Yeah. If they had spoken up when he started getting out of control with the alcohol and with the drugs, maybe it wouldn't have gotten to that point where he was slutting around. But they didn't because, again, we were trying to – they were upholding the bro code. They were upholding the bro code. Um, but they – well, Camilla's, was, Camilla's family, and they should have they should have protected her. Yes. It just – and also, I feel like goes back to – they don't really consider her an equal. She's just the girl who came along with the band. So then we cut to the hotel room, and this is pretty much straight from the book where um, Camilla tells him to take a shower. Yeah, because she doesn't just take a shower. Yeah, you you, you wouldn't want to talk to your husband after yeah. you caught. Yeah, gross. Yeah, no, gross. Gross. Go take a shower. I don't want to smell that shit. No. And um, who would want to? But of course, he's you know he's at his he's not good, and he um, steps out of the shower and then immediately snorts some blow, and I'm assuming it's cocaine. I don't know what it is, yeah. but. I think the fact that he's still talking afterwards means it's not cocaine. It's cocaine and not heroin. Um, Right. And it's like, um, you know, and that is the end for Camilla. And she tells him. And she fucking rips him. And God, I love this scene in the book and this scene in the show. Yeah. Are reasons why I love her character. Yeah. Because the fucking energy she brought to this scene um she was hurt she was betrayed not only by her husband but by her friends she could have completely fallen apart and been a sobbing mess but she wasn't man now she might have had some tears in her eyes but we know sometimes when we get super pissed off tears can happen well i just you know as i say all the time normalized crying so the book she says so here i'm reading um I believe what I said was, and you know, earmuffs, but I believe what I said was, who the fuck do you think you are cheating on me? You think there's a woman alive who is better than what you have. I made him take a shower before I would say another word to him. And then Billy goes on and says, I wanted her to leave. I thought a lot about it. And that's what I'd been up to. I'd been hoping she'd cut me loose. That night, Camilla and I were sitting in the hotel room after I got out of the shower and I could feel myself sobering up and I didn't like it. I pulled out a bump and remember Camilla looked at me and said, what are you trying to do? She didn't say it in an exasperated way. She was really asking me, what was I trying to do? I didn't know how to answer her. I just shrugged and I remembered how stupid I felt shrugging at a time like this with a woman like that, the woman carrying my child. And I was shrugging like I was a 10 year old boy. And she stared at me waiting for more of an answer. And I didn't have one. So she said, if you think I'm going to let you screw up our life, you've lost your mind. And she walked out the door. That scene, the scene in the book, the scene where she's like, you have until you, you better get this shit figured out before this baby gets here. Right. Because otherwise it's not going to be good. She stood up for herself. 
Yeah, she had always supported him and always did everything she could to build him up and to give him confidence. And the first opportunity he had to enjoy that success, he fucked around on her. Yeah, but we know why. We know why. We know because he doesn't have a dad. And he didn't want to be like his dad and screw it up. So he thought the easiest thing to do was just to fulfill that. Like deep down, he didn't think he can be a good dad. So I'll just go ahead and do be it. Be a fuck up. Yeah, I'll and just, I'll do it I'll on just my get it terms. Over with now. Like I'll just, yeah, let me just get it over with now. Get it done on my terms, which is such I'm, a, you know, uh, a typical human reaction to these people, especially people who have been abused or things like that. Like that's what you do. It's going to go bad anyway. So yeah, I'm just, just going to speed it up. Yeah. And I'm just going to make it go bad the way I want it to go bad. Yeah. Then at least I, because I'm I'm so afraid I'm going to get hurt. I will just do the hurting first. Billy was so weak in that moment. And I just, but it, but it wasn't, I don't, I don't know that that was his rock bottom yet. Oh no, I don't think so. But it was a start of the downhill slide. Yeah. So then we've cut to Daisy and she's writing some lyrics and she seems super pleased and super happy with what she got done. Yeah, I think and you can tell she's been really working hard. She's really yeah. focusing. She had finally written her song. And there we go to 1997 Billy and him saying, I thought I could get it out of my system. And, and Warren says, my brother was always great at lying to himself. Oh yeah, it was great. So they continued yeah, on the road. She caught him. They continued on the tour. Camila went home. But. He's doing worse. No. And, and like, let's, you know, let's think about this. Like this is, you know, 71, 72. There's no Betty Ford clinic. I mean, there was AA, but usually if you were an alcoholic, you got, you got put in a psych ward, you know? So. But, and I don't know if we have timelines off, but I mean, ultimately as we're going to about to talk about, he does get some help. Yes. So Billy's doing worse. Like he's just slurring on stage and like he doesn't even know what city he's in. He plays so bad and everybody's like the crowd is pissed. And he is and so off. It was painful yeah. to listen. That was, that was, that was, it was actually very good. It was very good. It was it was very good at being off key. It was yes, very and, good at being off key. And I would say once again, things are starting to build again. We have a quite a, a pretty long time that's about Billy and that that side of it but things are starting to build kind of we're getting there again and building um and and you know teddy tells billy that he's a dad and that he has a little girl he walks off stage they walk off stage he accuses warren of calling teddy yeah and warren says i didn't call him warren or graham oh graham i'm sorry graham i know i keep switching he he accuses graham of calling teddy yes Thinking that it's because I'm drinking and I'm doing drugs no. and I'm I'm yeah. out of control. So they called Teddy on me. They called dad. Yeah. They called dad to come in right. and scold me. Mm-hmm. But that's not what it was. Teddy was there to say to let him know. Yeah. You had a baby. To let him know. Camila had the baby. So they leave. Yeah. And he drives from and San also Diego. The, and the and the shot of they don't have um they don't he doesn't say anything. They just cut to the 1997 interview and Billy just looking just still traumatized. Traumatized by it. Yeah. Yeah. Guilty. Guilty. That's the better word. Yes. Yeah. No, he, he did it to himself. Yeah, guilty to see, you know, what was going on. So Teddy, uh, you know, Teddy told him he had a baby girl. They got in the car. We're going to make the drive back from San Diego up to LA. Uh, 
has to pull over at one point because Billy needs to throw up. Um, and then they get to Cedar Sinai. Yeah. And Billy, and, and this is this is a little bit different too, because Billy says, I can't go in there. I can't have her meet me looking like this. And so, you know, she he's got one of two options, basically, Teddy tells him. Well, he tells him, like, first he's just like, get the fuck out of my car, man. Like these girls are the you need to man up. These people are waiting for you. Your girls Your are girls. waiting for you. Yes. Girls. And, and get, he can't know that. And in know. the book, in the book, he goes into the lobby and Teddy goes up to see Camilla. Yeah. And he waits and he comes back down and he said, Camilla says you have two choices. You can get your ass up there right now and be a good husband and a father, or I can drive you to rehab. Those are your choices. Right. Camilla the, didn't give him any options in the yeah. book. Yeah, but, but that's but that truly was what it you can either man up and go up there and be the father and the husband that you need to be in this moment or your other option is to go to rehab because you got to get fixed right and so you teddy start and like teddy i doesn't i don't think teddy wanted to take on any of this responsibility like i think he's you know he's a reluctant but he he's also be a dad he's yes so he, he be a dad. and teddy says i hadn't in you know on merv griffin he says i hadn't planned on being anyone's father i guess some things are just out of your control and he he does the extra thing he takes him to rehab and he drives him, you know, and as he's drive, dropping him off at rehab, Daisy drops off her song. Okay, so we see Daisy dropping off this wonderfully packaged um, cassette tape recorded in her and Simone's den on some little cassette player, mm-hmm. two track, four track. Um, and then we cut to a shot of Camila in this hospital room with this brand new baby all by herself mm-hmm. which that just you know that got me yeah and we cut to modern day 19 modern day 1997 billy and he says same old rock and roll tale drinking the loneliness the drugs and the interviewer says yeah but that's usually the end of the story and for you it was the beginning yes and yes. scene scene and well I mean, this is, you know, it's a nice building. They jammed a lot into this one episode. Um, and we, you know, the for episode three, you know, and there's, I mean, I can, I know why Amazon released them in the way they did. I mean, so what do you think? Because I wish they would have drug it out and made us wait. Because story arc, like we're going to have a one, two, three, there's a story arc here. You know, they kind of did this with, I would say um, with Andor, they would release like sometimes two, two or three. It's to to satisfy the people who like to binge and then the people who like to drag it out. Cool. Anyway, so that's it for us. That is episode um, two. three in the bag talking about episode two. Don't forget this podcast will be on YouTube if you want to watch us. Um, it's going to be on all of your favorite uh, streaming services. Yes. Um, you can contact us on Instagram at Nobody's Muses. You can email us at Nobody's Muses at gmail.com. Next week, I'm excited for next week. Next week, I am. Um, Episode I just, three. Yeah, I just been taking notes on it and I am just, it is just a blast. And honestly, 
if episode three had not been as good as it was, I don't know if we would be doing this podcast right now. I, I, I do not disagree with you on that no. one. I do yeah. not disagree with you on that one. And maybe that's why they released it in three, because I don't yeah. know if after I'd spent two, because I'll usually give a show maybe two or three episodes because pilots are always hard. So, yeah. but yeah. So anyway, um, episode it's going to be a banger. I can't wait to talk about it. It's going to be so much fun and we will, um, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. All right. Bye. Bye. I was talking to you know a Gen Zer, and she's like, "Oh, well, I'm going to wait till all of them are out, so I can watch them all at once." So it's not that kind of time. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just like you know, I'm old school because I like to watch Abbott Elementary every Wednesday night. You know, I usually watch it Thursday on Hulu. But you know, I'm cool. I like the trickle, but you know, a lot of people don't. So uh, appointment yeah. television. Yes, we're, I mean, we're. I mean millennials are probably the last generation of appointment television where we had to be at you know yeah in front of the tv at a particular time millennials at least had tivo and dvrs but you know there was no on demand there was no maybe we could have gotten a vhs tape but if you ever tried to set up a vhs tape to record that was always girl i I recorded my stories in college Oh my god. Oh, Young and the Restless. Okay. I would record Young and the Restless. And I forget how it worked because my my roommate also she watched um all my children. Some so somehow I could watch we were we were advanced DCR users, so I could watch Young and the Restless and then she could record all my children. But like I can remember the first VCR my parents had. It had like some like little weird dialy thing on it, and you can never like get it absolutely pristinely set on the correct station so you'd end up with a vcr with like the snow and it oh, would no. oh my god it was always an issue well, but yes we did we did um we did you know evolve into better vcrs where you could do a better job of of recording your shows um and then yeah you could record on one channel and watch on another channel yeah. we thought that was big i i'm but yeah I'm. you're I get what you're saying because yeah, there's a uh, the way uh, Gen Z ingest television and news is completely different from the way we ingested those things. Yeah, so. and I mean, I like it still. I mean, that's why personally, I think that that's why the HBO shows are still considered prestige television because. They release them every week. People anticipate them. I mean, Mm -hmm. everyone I know was talking about The Last of Us. I mean, I don't care about succession, but that's what's going to be on my feed for the next 10 weeks. Yes. Yes. You're absolutely correct. I I don't watch that show either, but it's been showing up on my FYP all the time. 